and welcome back to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast with Luke and Nate. It is Wednesday, July 28th in really hot Albuquerque, New Mexico, but no one cares about that because Nate was hanging out with his other best friend last night, having tea and maybe some alcoholic drinks, talking about inflation. Paul Krugman, the Nobel Prize winner in economics. And uh, Paul Krugman had some interesting things to say about inflation, following in the footsteps of Nate's other best friend, Jerome Powell. Nate, how did that conversation go? <laughs> oh, it went bad for for Paul. Paul had to admit that he was wrong. He was wrong about inflation. Can you imagine being getting a Nobel Prize and still being that wrong? And then we're right over here. Blows my mind that he, he gets a Nobel Prize and we don't? Come on. We're ones who are actually correct about things out here. Yeah, we're get, we're nailing everything over here. It's a little it's a little extreme actually. It's kind of funny. One day, people are going to look back at this and be like, "Wow, should have been listening to the I'd Rather Be Right podcast because they were right about a whole bunch of things, uh, including inflation." And that's again um, what we're going to talk about today. Continuing on with our inflation series, we've. Covered a lot of ground in the first two episodes. This is the third episode. And today we're going to cover everyone's, maybe not favorite topic, but at least the topic within inflation that everyone probably knows about at this point, CPI. We hear it a lot in television. I think the no, the numbers didn't come out today. Uh, The Fed raised height, uh, the Fed, yeah, raised their rates today. So inflation didn't come out today. I was about to say it did, but it did not. Today we're going to talk about CPI. Why don't we start with the definition? Consumer price inflation is when the normal price of a broad set of goods and services goes up. In other words, if you paid $4 for a Big Mac five years ago and $5 for a Big Mac this year, then it inflated 25% in price at an average annual price inflation rate of 4.56% during that period. Coincidentally, McDonald's literally just raised the price of their double cheeseburger today. It's where we are in history that they hadn't done in the last 14 years. So the prices of some goods or services can go up for reasons unique to the item. Consumer price inflation is really looking at whether the majority of goods and services are going up in price or not. If so, that's considered consumer price inflation. The issue is now we have to define a basket of goods and services to measure. Enter the consumer price index, or as I was stating earlier, everyone's favorite, CPI. So what is the CPI? The background of it is CPI is a basket of goods and services that the government defines and then measures to determine the level of consumer price inflation. From the CPI's website or the Department of Uh, Labor's website, I believe, um, that talks about CPI. The Consumer Price Index, in parentheses CPI, is a measure of the average change over time in the prices paid by urban consumers for a market basket of consumer goods and services. Indexes are available for the U.S. and various geographical areas. Average price data for select utility, automotive fuel, and food items are also available. That was all in a quote. In addition, when government representatives or members of the media refer to the rate of inflation, they are referencing CPI, I would say probably in 99.9% of cases, if not 100% of cases, when 
people in the government or the media are referencing the rate of inflation they are talking about CPI. What is the history of this? Where did it come from? The first major study conducted by the new Bureau of Labor, later to be renamed the Bureau of Labor Statistics, was an examination of family expenditures and retail prices between 1888 and 1890, a two-year period. In 1919, the Bureau of Labor Statistics, or BLS, began publication of separate consumer price indices for 32 cities. Regular publication of a national index, the U.S. City Average, began in 1921, and indexes were established back to 1913. Since its inception, the CPI has been com comprehensively revised on several occasions to implement the following, updated samples and weights, expanded coverage, and enhanced methodologies, all to improve how they think CPI is. The improvements introduced over the years have reflected not only the Bureau's own experience and research, but also the criticisms and investigations of outside research. In the 1980s, large changes were made to the CPI that are criticized by many today. This is likely because the 70s and the early 80s saw extremely high inflation and changing it certainly reduced the CPI. This is what people are talking about when they say this is the exact period that we we're going to get to in a little bit that when they changed CPI to bring it to bring inflation lower, boom, that's what's criticized. So here are the changes. The most notable one was probably in 1983 when they took out the cost of a mortgage and introduced something called the owner's equivalent rent. Basically, we won't own instead more rent. The American dream is now not being measured. You can see on their website. They list out a bunch of improvements and revisions that they made. The Basically, the two we're talking about, the many we're talking about, the bunches that we're talking about, is called the 1987 CPI revision, the fifth comprehensive revision. You can find it on their website, uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics. You can just Google CPI. It will come up. So how does the government use CPI? The government likes to target a 2% inflation rate to encourage investment, quote unquote, and discourage hoarding your money in savings accounts because spending, investing, and taking loans keeps the economy moving. Please reference back to some of our older episodes like bonds for why that is. So the thought is, if we keep inflation at a manageable level, we will encourage more economic activity and discourage just keeping money in your savings account. But these ideas are of, are of course disputed by some, maybe even those on this very podcast. <laughs> oh, I was laughing because like, that is definitely uh, me. I definitely dispute the idea that necessarily spending is inherently good or sustainable for that matter. But there is a giant list, as you were about to say, of different things that they've changed. And the 12-month percentage change for the consumer price index, selected categories to June 22. And you, you, know, you can see all the things that are included. Food, energy are the big ones. Of course, all items, less food, less food and energy. We'll get into why that's interesting. Commodities, apparels, new vehicles, used cars, commodities, alcoholic beverages, tobacco and smoking products, shelter. So that includes rent for primary residents, owner's equivalent rent of residencies. We just talked about that a minute ago. Medical care services, fitness and services, hospital services, transportation services, including motor vehicle maintenance, repair, motor vehicle insurance, airline fare, et cetera. 
So we got a lot of a lot of different things in the basket of goods. It's worth double looking into it and seeing what's in there. It's kind of interesting. For the listeners, why don't you pick out one or two that kind of show the difference that CPI doesn't tell the whole story? Yeah. So um, I would say the big like so energy is forty one point six percent. That had a change of forty one point six percent, and I think that what was just over nine percent recently. Uh, I think nine point one is that what it was? I don't remember exactly, but just at a double digit. Yep. Um, so and energy went up forty one point six percent. Energy commodities went up 60.6. Fuel oil went 98.5. Gasoline of all types, 59.9. That's energy. Food, you also see going up to, you know, cereals and bakeries, 13.8%. Meat, poultry, and fish, 11.7. Dairy and related products, 13.5. Other food at home, 14.4. So there's a good amount of stuff going up. And then you see other things go down, right? So Medical care commodities went down three, only went up, th- sorry, not going down, but went up a lot less, 3.2%. So that's bringing the average down. Physician services only went up 1%. So it depends on what we're measuring in here. That's going to, like, you know, it's all, all an average, right? So we just see this average of CPI, and we've talked about limits of averages. I think you, last time, I think you were the one who gave the, uh, I think you gave a hypothetical about the rich person who walks in to the bar. There, you know, Bill Gates walked into a bar of 100 people. So 99 people there, 100 people there after Bill Gates and everyone's wealth went up billions of dollars, despite the fact it was really just Bill Gates walked in. This is this is that in CPI, and we talk and we talked about why we think inflation should be measured as a vector and not a scalar. And this is it. This is the real reason because all under the hood, you can see that certain things are going to go up. And of course, if certain if gas goes up, energy goes up. Generally, that's not good or good for everything else because you can kind of see how you kind of think you can think your way through the process of how you, you, the other things might go up eventually as well because everything everything you you consume takes some level of energy. So there's also that as well. You can just cycle this way through. But yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in there. That's really what we're talking about the basket. So and as we talked about, you know, Michael Saylor discussing the difference between a vector and a scalar, uh, vector and a scalar, and why we think. That if you define this basket in different ways, you can do different things. You can have it go up or you can have it go down. There are some issues of like, how does it change? So keep in mind when we're doing a basket of goods, you're not comparing one apple to one apple. Uh, it's as if it's the whole basket of goods that are changing. So how does the government deal with these changes? Let's, let's think about back into the 1980s. People wanted to own a movie for themselves. People used VHS tapes. Then they moved to DVDs, eventually Blu-ray discs. And now, of course, for streaming, almost no one has any DVDs anymore. And if they do, they're slowly getting rid of them. And they just either buy it and own it from Amazon, or a lot of times they just have a streaming service will have it somewhere in their library. So there's no need to have a physical item anymore. And how do we, how, how does the government compare the 1980s to now when they're different, you know, the way we're consuming movies is, very, is changing. The government uses what is called the hedonic quality adjustment. This is from their uh, FAQ on their website. What is the hedonic quality adjustment? The hedonic quality adjustment is one of the techniques the CPI uses to account for changing product quality within some CPI item samples. Hedonic quality adjustment refers to a method of adjusting prices whenever the characteristics of the products included in the CPI change due to innovation or the introduction of completely new products. The use of the word hedonic to describe this technique stems from the words Greek origin meaning of or related to to pleasure. Economists approximate pleasure to the, to the idea of utility, a measure of relative satisfaction com- from consumption of goods. In price index mythology, hedonic quality adjustment has come to mean the practice of de- 
decomposing an item into its constituent characteristics, obtaining estimates of the value of the utility derived from each characteristic, and using those value estimates to adjust prices when the quality of a good changes. The CPI attains the value estimates used to adjust prices through the statistical technique known as regression analysis. Hedonic regression models are estimated to determine the value of the utility derived from each of the characteristics that jointly constitute an item. Also, what items in the CPI are hedonically adjusted? The CPI uses hedonic quality adjustments in item categories that tend to experience a high degree of quality change either due to seasonal changes, as in apparel items, or because of innovative improvements in technological changes, as in consumer appliances and electronics. I would say this is a big one, consumer appliances, electronics, anything computer-related, almost everything is getting sucked into the digital realm. We know that, right? You know, it started with, uh, you know, books are getting sucked in, movies, music, all of that are going to streaming services, and they went, you know, originally from, you know, you can go all the way back to vinyl if you wanted to for, for music and then you know tapes cds and then downloads and then now we're in the streaming services so it's a whole thing and anything that's being sucked into the the cyberspace i think it's a way to think of that that's gonna be a big one uh and probably far more important than the seasonal adjustments um but uh you can find examples of how they calculated on their website we'll, we'll add a link to the podcast and you can find things that he, uh, a list of the things they hedonically adjust there as well. We'll link to it. But you can probably reason your way into what most of them are. Probably no reason to list them. We've listed some right now, but you, you can kind of think of it. So there's another issue here. So we've got a basket of goods, and we, we talked about how they were weighed different. So the government must make a judgment on the relative weight of the goods and services within the basket. Again, we're back to Michael Saylor's points about how inflation is a vector and not scalar. Take Luke and I as an example. We make a different amount of money, possibly. I'm actually not sure about that, but let's assume we do. He definitely has a family. I'm single and live alone. And people in D.C. almost certainly have a different weighted basket of goods than people in Albuquerque. And that's a big one. Localities are just huge. So even if he and I made exactly the same amount of money, even if we were both single at the time or had the exact same uh, you know, wife, and, uh, wife and child, we'd, we'd end up with the same problem just because of the fact that I'm in D.C. and he's in Albuquerque. But both of these areas are areas that the government could use to try and build a basket of goods and services to reflect by inflation that they want to see. It's in the government's interest and politicians' interest to make CPI look lower than it actually is. This is a very, very important, I think. I guess this is more of my opinion, I guess, or our opinion here on the podcast than anything I can say factually for sure. But I don't see how it isn't true from just a first principles interest perspective. I'm not sure. They definitely don't want it to look super high. In addition, the government often points to what they call core CPI. This is the consumer price index for all urban conservers, all items less food and energy. Remember how I mentioned how this is a line I'm called all less food and energy? Uh, is an aggregate, and that's an aggregate of prices paid by urban consumers for typical basket of goods, excluding food and energy. Two of the most important things human beings need to live, food and energy. So it's a little bit ridiculous. So this measurement, known as core CPI, is widely used by economists because food and energy have very volatile prices. The Bureau of Labor Statistics defines and measures the official CPI, and more information can be found in the FAQ or in, this, or, or in the article, and we'll post on it. But I think it's important to think about the ways you can manipulate someone by citing core CPI, and the person who doesn't know what they're thinking doesn't realize that they're including food and energy. In fact, I would say go so far as to say it might be even an element of propaganda. I mean, this, this basket doesn't include food or energy, but it's called Core CPI, what is more core to your life than food and energy? I'm not sure I can think of a whole lot of things. Luke, what would you call it? It sounds like PR to me or 
when things are going poorly, crisis management, <laughs> but I am the marketer. So owner. propaganda by any other uh, – nicer words for propaganda. Yeah. But the short story here is that basically we don't believe core is a very accurate term for this. I would consider the food and energy no. core. I would not pay much attention to core CPI personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, CP, I'm not even sure CPI is a good measurement, but core is probably even worse. There are alternate consumer price inflation indexes that you can look at, by the way. One is the Chapwood Index. I will post a link to that also. You can check it out. But the Chapwood Index tries to address the issue of regional variations in inflation. inflation. So we had talked about how Luke and I living in D.C. and Albuquerque, different, how we're going to have different lives. Michael Saylor's made this point as well, obviously. And so they try to have a bunch of different indexes for different uh, localities. And they said, oh, Basically, they took over two years. The company collected data from friends and associates across the country on over 4,000 items to see what they spent on, the, on in their daily lives. We, they then narrowed the, those items down to the top 500 most frequently used and relevant items. Those items became the basis of the Chapwood Index. <clears throat> so this is not issued every month. This is issued every six months. So every six months, they take the precise price for the same item quarter by quarter and calculate the increase or decrease, then develop a weighted index based on the price. These items include basically everything that most Americans consume during the course of their lives. Some items in the Chapwood Index include, let's read some of these, health insurance, gas bill, Verizon Fios, BlackBerry service, I assume that's not there anymore, postage, newspaper delivery, life insurance, space heater, mortgage, car loan payments, dish TV, lawn services, this is very old, and envelopes, washing machine, they have definitely not updated this. Uh, Water hose spray, pool accessories, rent, that's still important. Car lease payment is still important. Cell phone cover, I don't think that matters that much. Pool service, home association fees, Costco memberships, uh, a set of Allen wrenches, iron, electricity, internet, car phone charger, Bluetooth, water delivery, dish towel, pay-per-view, rental. Again, probably not as relevant right now as streaming services. Ironing board, water and sewer, ATT. AT&T, U-verse, iPhone service, pest control, clocks, plumbing, emergency, bed sheets, queen, set of glasses. So they have the problem where they're just, they picked certain things and are just going to ride it all the way through. So BlackBerry is probably becoming almost irrelevant and it's probably not getting replaced by anything because they wanted to see um, month to month with what happens if you don't change. But again, this is the problem of judgments. If you, do, if you don't change it, you're comparing apples to apples, but you may not understand what's actually going on. If you do change it, how do you make ethical judgments, ethical and accurate and smart judgments so you can actually understand what's going on and not use it to just manipulate an answer that you want. Anyway, the full list can be, of, of the things they measure can be found on their website. I'll link to that as well. Another on- economist, John Williams, has criticized the change in CPI uh, in the 1980s and releases a calculation based on the old methodology. Uh, it's on his website, Shao Stats. We'll link to that as well. The point being that when, but I think a lot of point being, I'm sure it's like CPI, I think is highly manipulated. I think there are legitimate reasons to change some of these things. As you can see with the Chapwood Index, not in, uh, updating BlackBerry service, almost completely irrelevant now. I don't know if you knew ATT, Uverse, I don't know if that's a thing now. Oh, Dish TV, yeah, that seems a little bit uh, unnecessary. But on the other hand, if you do change it, especially if you're in the government and your goal and you're getting the marching orders from whoever in politics that you need to make this thing look smaller, you can definitely find different ways to do that. Luke, why would you want to, if you were, 
fewer in the government, why would you want to adjust CPI? Probably the easiest answer would be, as you just showed experimentally there by reading off some of those um, items in the basket, is maybe you genuinely want what's good for the economy. And while all models, I would say, are wrong, some are useful. And if you don't update the basket of goods, you are measuring the usefulness of your model will decrease. For example, like I said, no one is using a BlackBerry right now. So measuring the increase in cost of a BlackBerry is not very useful. And therefore, uh, if we replace it with an iPhone or an Android or a Galaxy phone or something, maybe that model could be more useful to us. So one of the reasons you might want to change what's measured in CPI is because you generally agree it's good for the economy to know how much these different items are changing in price over time. And yeah, and what consumers are doing, right? And how, how, the, how the world is changing, right? I think some, I, I, basically we'll call, we'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll call that, uh, I, think, I think we'll call that the one uh, here that you think you're right. Uh, you know, we think it's a correct and a better right. or better or more correct way to measure inflation. Or maybe that's PR. <laughs> but you may also want to adjust it if you think, if you, do, if you don't want people saving right uh maybe you need some inflation so if i have some inflation and i sit in cash then i am having my real buying power over time be eroded right so i'm incentivized to not keep it in cash or in my savings account and i may want people to invest in other items or consume and this kind of um, incentivizes that so i do think that this is the government consensus these days right that consumption is inherently good consumption is growth they don't really think of the long-term implications of that namely i think i think jeff booth has made it very clear in his book the price of tomorrow that this endless consumption is sort of a dead-end road it's unsustainable it's bad for the environment think about all the worthless chinese plastics in our oceans but it's basically just unsustainable right we can't grow forever infinitely <laughs> and have a and certainly have a healthy world uh let alone even if we didn't we just end up eventually eroding i think of aquifers there's a lot of water aquifers here uh, if if you're pulling out tons and tons of water so uh you know aquif underground aquifers have store water right over a period of time rain comes down replenishes them and you you know use them for whatever you're using above you know, obviously all the obvious things for, you know, cooking, cleaning, but other things like, you know, water parks, pools, filling pools, right? Watering your garden. Agriculture is another big one. So stuff we probably definitely think are good and other things we think are fun. But if you end up taking more of the aquifer than is being replenished by the rain, you end up with a problem eventually where there is no more water to come and get. And I think... If you want a higher CPI enough or even a 2% uh, where it forces that endless growth, you're going to eventually be consuming too much water or other items in the real world. And eventually you're going to have a real problem. So I, I do think this is a real problem, but I do think people, as a general rule, most people in the government think growth is good and they don't really think about how they're getting it. And if you can get growth only from people taking items in the economy and making more out of less, that's good. But a lot of it's being strip mined, I guess, right? And uh, and we're actually losing, we're spending on things we don't actually need. 
But I think that's one reason you might do it. I, I think another reason you might want to manipulate it, you want to win a political debate. While the government seems to think inflation is good, they understand that too much inflation is bad, right? Too much inflation goes too fast, and people can actually feel their wealth getting eroded over very, very quickly, and they notice it. So the, sort of like think of the difference between you know, the old metaphor of the frog on the stove and slightly, you know, turning up the heat. And when the, if it's slow enough, the frog doesn't notice. But if it goes too fast, the frog notices and jumps out. That's the thing with inflation. They're trying to aim for the slow amount so they can grow the economy, quote unquote. But they don't want to get it too hot or people notice. So that might be a time when you want to make it look less than it actually is. I do think that that's part of what we probably did in the 80s. Uh, I do think it was probably a, a, a contributing factor to why we changed it. What are some other reasons, Luke? Similar to winning a political debate, that might lead to re-election if you're running and you're already in office and you want to say, hey, I kept inflation low. We, you know, pulled me back in because things are great. Uh, <laughs> definitely might see that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if Biden gets, if, if, if the Fed is successful in killing some inflation, uh, uh, I think we'll see it from Biden. We've already seen it from Biden in regard to gas prices. He's already owning gas prices going down at the pump. And oil prices coming down, causing gas. He's already been all over Twitter doing that. So we are seeing some of that right now, uh, specifically with energy. And the Republicans are helping him. Because have you seen all those stupid stickers of Biden going, I did that. And I was talking to one the other day. I was like, what are you going to do when gas prices come down and they're really low? And now you just put up a bunch of advertisements for Joe Biden for having low gas prices. Yeah, but it Good also job, it works the other way, too. If it rips again upwards, he owns that now, too. Sure. So it's, it's a double-edged. It's a risky it's a risk, risky calculation, and especially since I think it will go up again before his re-election time. Really? Before his re-election. Maybe not reading terms, but before re-election. That's a long time. Uh, assuming uh, he, wa- assuming yeah, he wants true. to be re-elected, I mean, I think that's a different question. But, uh, but even if he doesn't want to be re-elected, his successor, his Democratic successor, would have to uh, have an issue of, of dealing with that as well. So uh, I do think that that's a potential negative of this. What's another reason you might want to do it? Let's get cynical here. <laughs> well, uh, there's a meme going around and, you know, it is uh, it's partially true, but maybe you want to benefit yourself or your benefactors, perhaps by allowing you uh, to spend more money if you're in Congress. Well, let's just pick a random name out of a hat that no one really has this name. Nancy Pelosi maybe supporting a bill uh, to build chip factories after she invested in those chip companies. I'm sure no one would ever do that. And I, I just made that example up out of my head but this would become harder to justify spending or taking in less taxes if inflation is high so if inflation is high you don't want to spend money so you want to keep it low so that you could you know benefit yourself and, and make more money <laughs> that's fun oh let's get I'll, I'll add another cynical one how about to control the populace uh, and relatedly to suppress and prevent potential anger uh, and unrest huge deal i think that's i think i think that's yeah, yeah. If it, so it's one of those things where, again, I think you can fool people for some amount of time, right? If it's low enough. So let's assume it's actual double digits right now, and it's, it's showing up as 9.1. I think a lot of people would believe 9.1 right now, right? You can't, you can't lie completely, but you can lie some. <laughs> but if I saw 15% or whatever it was, that would probably freak a lot more people out. You hit the double digits, right? So people will be like, oh, it's not yeah. that big of a and deal. Inflation or... is, yeah, it's what 
brings countries to their knees and makes them go extinct. Inflation is the killer of countries. And so controlling the populace so they don't rise up and murder their overlords <laughs> might be important for them. God, we're cynical right now. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get more cynical and uh, let's assume that we are the government now. How are we going to try to suppress this CPI or increase it? Increase it, decrease it. Well, how are we going to manipulate it to whatever way we want it to go? Well, I know that. Well, I guess I don't know this, but things might be cheaper where I live or where you live. Uh, so, you know, where I'm collecting this information or um, how you collect this information are, are certainly ways you could do this. Um, they did it recently, for example, with used cars. In this case, they started using commercial companies, commercial company data, rather than continuing to call companies themselves. So, for example, basically how... So they had an... Ag- I think there was an aggregator. It was like an aggregator that did it already. Yeah, there was an aggregator that already did this, and they just... It was like calling... Mm-hmm. The, it's like Kelly, relying on Kelly's Blue Book or whatever, right? Something like that. I don't remember exactly right. what company it was. And that, that data might be correct, more correct, but I'm sure there was this, like... Is it coming in a little hotter? Oh, oh you know, they probably back tested it, looked at it, and said, "Oh, you know, it's sure. it's ten percent cheaper when we use Kelly's Blue Book or whatever it was than if we had done this ourselves." So we're going to rely on Kelly's Blue Book now. I'm highly skeptical that it wasn't anything else, uh, and the reason being that we know used cars were going up very, very high, and it was just a very weird time to change that, especially if you want apples to apples comparison within the basket of used cars. Mm-hmm. So why, So yes, the cynic in me definitely thinks it was probably evidence that they were getting going to get cheaper by using this commercial data. I mean, they said it, obviously, obviously they said it was for more accurate data though. We should, we should, we should at least give them what they said. That's what they, but yeah. And I don't think it's actually Kelly Blue Book, but. Yeah, it was something, it was not Kelly Blue Book. It was something else. I just don't remember what it was. It was something like that. And it was a, it was a company that already did this. Uh, obviously we can use the hedonic quality adjustment which we've already mentioned, if we want to do this, so we can just substitute. So, you know, this is, uh, oh, yeah, definitely streaming makes more sense. And you can do that earlier than maybe it makes sense if you want to manipulate it. You can definitely say one thing is the same as good as the other when, in fact, it's not. You know, we do that a lot. Economists do that a lot where I think they're just like, that's, we all know that's not as good, you know. It's not as good as quality. The other thing is I think it's easier to do right now is shrinkflation. Which is, you know, when you say you're serving the same, say you're serving fries or whatever, and you're actually serving a smaller amount of fries than you were before, but the same price. And if I were the government, I might not want to investigate to find out if shrinkflation was actually happening. I would just say it's the same price without actually announcing that there's this many ounces of fries less, uh, less fries than there were previous. And shrinkflation is quite common right now. So I think you could disguise a lot of it. It's the free market, baby. Yeah. So you could disguise it that way as well just by saying one is the same as the other and not really explaining it. So, yeah, I think that's an easy way to... Uh, and this is why I'm highly skeptical of the hedonic quality adjustment. I'm not entirely skeptical. As, a, as I've said, I think there's legitimate reasons to do it. But I think it's an easy place to manipulate and play games if you want to. I think another way to do it would be to argue that the future involves renting more than owning, or basically not even owning. I think we're seeing that already. The World Economic Forum, World Economic Forum got roasted when it said uh, when someone, person who worked for them, and they posted this on Twitter and everything else, said, "Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better." And <laughs> oh my God, it's kind of crazy, but this seems to be the theme. We're seeing this a lot. 
you know, of course, it's always the rich people telling you that you don't need to own anything. <laughs> Cisgendered, blonde hair, blue eyed, cute Denmark girl telling you that. By the yeah. Way. Yeah. But it's always it's always the rich people who are always going to tell you you don't need to own anything. Don't own it. And I think we're seeing it. So I've also read, I read a study a while back about how they think transportation as a service is a likely outcome. So Ubers of the world are going to become, you know, automatic self-driving cars. And if they become self-driving cars, then all, you know, all of a sudden we just don't need to overown cars again. For record, I didn't own a car for a long time, so it's possible. And it's possible that's a legitimate point. But it's also possible that some of these people have an agenda and want to convince you that these things are true. So you don't feel so bad when you don't own a car uh, or a truck or whatever else you need to own to do your get around. You know, keep in mind that all the rich not only own all those things, they also own private jets. And the business you work at. <laughs> they don't, they're not even the ones renting the private jets. You know, there's private jet... It's private jet rental services, but they don't do that. They have their own. So, yeah. So I, I think it's, I think I think that's one of the ways we're gonna convince you that that's the case, and then substitute the stuff, right, and call it the same thing. And I think that's what we saw with owners' equivalent rent. I think we'll see it for other items as well. I'd imagine you'll start seeing Ubers replacing the cost of cars over over time, and that'll be how they solve some of this problem. And I think you already talked about this one, though. But we, we talked about this one a little bit. Is uh, you know, just pick where, engage in the sampling bias of less expensive towns and cities, and say they represent a real America. Yeah. Woohoo! That's an easy way to solve that. Hey, Albuquerque, you represent the real America. Oh, I know. All your housing, all your housing. We actually have pretty expensive <laughs> housing, so they probably wouldn't do that here. But uh, you know, other places for sure. Wait, really? Oh yeah. But it can't be any. It can't be anywhere near as expensive as DC, though, right? I have no idea. But for example, like we have more expensive housing than Dallas. For example, you can get twice the size of a house in Dallas for the same money than you can in Albuquerque. Gotcha. Well, I would not have guessed that. I thought Albuquerque would have been better off. You would think, but no. But Albuquerque is a weird place. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to drop links to all these things we talked about in the show notes. That was a, cool, a quicker one than I think we usually do. But I think it helps that we all have a pretty good background to this already. This is the one I think we all somewhat know. We're starting to get moving here. Yeah. Someone, uh, someone, I, think, I think a lot of people already kind of know this one. So I think next week we're going to be doing hyper uh, – sorry, next two weeks we're going to be hyperinflation. Plan for that, guys. Yeah. Yeah, that one you're going to want a stiff drink probably because we're going to talk about destruction of countries. Our favorite topic. Yeah. We bring all the, all the joy to, to, to the podcast here. I don't know. Oh, who's wrong? Uh, we actually know who this wrong this week. Paul Krugman. You were wrong. Congratulations. And with that, I think we'll say goodbye.